you a little bit of, of background, explanation, catch up. Um, <clears throat> we are actually uh, in, in, this is, I believe, if I counted correctly, this is Sermon 48 in Exodus. We actually started in April of last year. Uh, I expected that number to be higher than that. So um, I guess I was a little encouraged by the number 48. Um, even if you still think, man, that's a long time. Um, uh, we have, because of the way this passage works, um, we, we have a section of Exodus where we read all of these details um, because God is giving the details to Moses. And, and now we've come back around to them again because there has been an interlude of sorts uh, and now the people are getting ready to actually execute the instructions that God gave to Moses. Uh, rather than deal with each part, the curtains and the ark and the, the inner court and the outer court and all those sorts of things individually again, uh, it makes sense uh, to treat them all together. However, uh, I will not actually read uh, all five of these chapters. Uh, but if you would uh, look at Exodus chapter 35, uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 4 uh, and then um, read down to verse 7 of chapter 36. That is, I believe, long enough to allow you to sit, um, even though we would normally stand when we read scripture. So give your attention to the reading of God's word. Uh, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine, twine, fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod or for the breast, breast piece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and frames and bars and pillars and its bases the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering and its, with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons for, the service at, for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. 
So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred uh, them used, to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the, that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach, both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, the tri of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsmen in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him uh, up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contributions that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing from the material they had had was sufficient to do all the work and more. The grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to this, your word, in need of the work of the Spirit uh, to open ears to hear, uh, open minds to understand, and soften our hearts to hear, receive, embrace, trust. Give us eyes that see Jesus and him only, for we ask it in his name. Amen. 
Uh, so there's a scene in The Princess Bride. It's time for a Princess Bride illustration, right? Uh, there's a scene in The Princess Bride where Inigo Montoya is trying to find the man in black. And, and he, in this all this mystical, you know, his dead father, and he takes out his sword, and he says, you know, Father, we're, at a, we're, we're, we're basically at the end. There's nothing we can do. We don't know where the man in black is. Guide my sword. And he, he starts to kind of meander around following the, the guidance of his sword, and presumably his long-deceased father is guiding him to find the man in black, which is the guy he needs more than anything at that moment. Until finally the sword jabs into a knot of a tree and Inigo Montoya is dejected. Um, he's convinced that it's failed. He's convinced that, um, that he hasn't gotten what he wanted. And so he kind of collapses on the tree, throws his arm on that knot, drops his head on his arm, and the secret door in the tree opens because that was the secret knot. Sometimes I think that's the way we approach our understanding of our spiritual gifts. That we need some sort of divining rod. We need some sort of secret mantra to chant and to say. And there's this mystical sort of concept of gifts that we've been given. And now I just have to figure out what it is. As though God has given you something and then sits back and laughs while you scramble to figure out what it is. That's completely, that right there is completely contrary to everything you know about what God is like. He doesn't, you know, ask you to do something and then say, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm only going to give you like a, um, um, a, a mystical uh, clue hunt kind of a deal where you get one and then you have to sort of somehow divine the next one and figure it out for yourself. The reality is, I think, Far more often, the gifts that God has given us and wants us to use for His kingdom are much more obvious. They're much easier to figure out. They're, in fact, they're frequently more obvious to the people around you than they are to you. Uh, perhaps they're a little less hocus-pocus and a little more handy-dandy. And that's, that's the picture in this passage. The picture in this passage is that, that people have these gifts and abilities and they're called to use them for the honor and glory of of their God, and there's no test. There's no sending off to some company to send me the spiritual gifts test. And then they ask you, well, do you want the five, the seven, the nine, the 13, or the 21? That right there ought to tell us something. We see first in this passage the gifts of the few. Notice in chapter 35, verse 10, we will basically focus. Our attention, even though I'll try to give you chapter number, you will rarely have to leave. Uh, in fact, you may not have to leave chapters 35 and 36 at all. But notice verse 10 in chapter 35. There is a um, there are specific people. There are people, skilled craftsmen who are among the people of Israel and they will make what God has commanded them to make. And then you look down in verse 30, for example, and you only get two people who are mentioned by name. Moses says, look, God has called Bezalel and Aholiab and he's given them gifts and he's he's given them these gifts to be able to work with all sorts of different 
um, different materials. And and you know how this is. Some of you some of you actually are artists. I know we're in sort of engineering heavy world. Some of you are actually artists and and actually have art gifts. Maybe you can paint, but you really don't know how to work with wood. Or maybe you can work with wood, but you don't really know what to do with, with yarn. Maybe you can sew and, and crochet and whatever, but you don't really know what to do with paint. What really annoys me is the people that can do any of them. And that's these guys. Did you hear the list? Did you hear the things they can do? Look at verse 35. They have the skill to work as an engraver. Well, or a designer. Well, or an embroiderer. Or a weaver. They literally can do anything and everything that is needed for the building, for the construction of the tabernacle. They can work with stone and wood and gold and silver and bronze. They can work with blue and purple and scarlet yarns. I mentioned this before. I'll say it again just in case you missed it then and for the the good of you artists in the room. This is the first people. These are the first people. Bezalel and Aholiab are the, the first people in all the Bible that we are told are filled with the Spirit. Not Abraham, not Noah, not a, not a preacher, not a prophet, not a priest. Artists. Maybe artists, the next time an engineer says, well, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with an art major? What are you going to do? Maybe you would do well to remind them of the fact that the very first people mentioned in Scripture as filled with the Spirit were artists. And so there are two people who are clearly called, given to us by name, who are leading this project and developing the project for building the temple. They're going to take the, the things, all the things that God has given to Moses and instructed Moses. Moses then communicates to the people and they say, OK, we're going to take that detail. We make the plans. We design the building. We can do the work. But I notice they don't have to do it. Alone. Just look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 36. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence. Bezalel and Aholiab don't have to do all the work, just the two of them. They don't, they're not stuck doing all the work themselves. They actually have help. There's a, some number of people. Now here's the thing. Notice we don't know how many. We don't have any of their names. We don't know anything about them except that the Lord has put skill and intelligence to help Bezalel and Aholiab. We don't know how many people fit that category. We don't know how many hands are on deck to carry out this work. But there is a group of people come, that come alongside and are able to help Bezalel and Aholiab. You're familiar, I trust, with the saying, those who can't do, teach. That's not their issue. 
Because not only can they work in all of these sorts of things, verse 34, chapter 35, he has inspired him, Bezalel is the him, and then Oholiab comes along with him to teach how to work with all of these things. And see, here's the deal. The reality is you artist types could, could pull me aside all you wanted to and talk about, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know the language to you. You could teach me all sorts of things and you would be wasting your breath. You could say, well, this color and this value and, and you have to do this and there's a, 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 a knit and a pearl and I don't know. But they teach and then there's this group of people that are equipped already to understand and hear and participate and to be engaged in this work. Bezalel and Aholiab can do and teach. And then there's this group there to help them. There's a second sort of observation worth making about this work of the few. And it's obvious, but still worth pointing out. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 36. Bezalel, Aholiab, every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the tabernacle. Verse 2, Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose name. And then that basically repeats verse 1 again. There's an implication there, and that is this. There are other people in Israel who don't fit that category. There are other people in Israel who are neither Bezalel nor Aholiab nor skilled with skilled craftsmen to be able to work with this. Part of the implication is that not everyone in Israel has the skill, the ability to work with gold, to work with wood, to work with yarn, to carve stones, to set in the ephod or the breastpiece. And I find it interesting that there's no place in this passage that rebukes, condemns, or mocks any of those people. I know, I guess technically it's a bit of an argument from silence, but the point is that we would do well to learn that different people have different gifts. And that's good. It would be wrong for people who don't have these gifts to be jealous and to be angry and to be frustrated with those who do. And it would be equally wrong for the people who do have them to mock the people who don't. That's part of why we read 1 Corinthians 12 just a few minutes ago for our New Testament reading. The reality is your toe and your spleen are different. They do different things and they accomplish different purposes and they're there for different reasons. And the argument in 1 Corinthians 12 was the toe shouldn't complain to the spleen. Well, I'm not a spleen. How come I want to be the spleen? What does the spleen do? I don't even know. Like, I want to be a spleen. I, that's, I mean, I, or the toe doesn't give you, ha <laughs> I'm a toe. People don't even know what you do, right? What, is, what does your toe do? What's your big toe? What's your pinky toe? So there's this picture then in this passage of the gifts of the few, the, the participation of some 
in the detailed work of building the tabernacle according to the design and plans and instructions that God has given. The gifts of the few. But we also see the gifts of the many. Because notice that there are some things that only some people can do, but there are other things that anybody can do. There are other parts of this passage, other ways to participate in the building and growth of this tabernacle in which anyone can participate and in ways that anyone can participate. Did you, did you notice verses 4 to 9 of chapter 34, 35? Notice Moses says, look, here's the deal. Y'all bring us. And I I assume you got tired of kind of the way I read that because I got tired of reading it. I mean, there's this long section, basically four to 19. It feels like three sentences. And, And it's this one thing after another, one item after another, one different material after another. And the point is... These things have to come from somewhere. And Moses tells the people, I've got two guys who are filled with the Spirit and they're going to lead this project. I've got other people who have been given gifts and skills in these particular areas and they're going to participate in that project. Everybody, we need stuff. We need gold. We need tanned skins. We need we need fine twined linen. I couldn't even say that because it, you kept wanting to put the D in the wrong place. And the picture is that these are things anybody can do and quite honestly should do. You see it again down in verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people departed and they came, everyone whose heart was stirred, everyone whose spirit was moved and brought the Lord's contribution. It sounds like the masses, a much larger group of Israelites, actually collected their possessions, went back to their tent, rummaged through their stuff, found a bunch of stuff, rings, earrings, brooches, amulets, armlets, something, uh, armlets. Um, They gathered up things and then brought them back and dropped them in. I'm sure somebody was organizing the, let's keep the gold over there, the linen here, the... People with no, it's the stuff I could do. People with no crafty skill whatsoever. I've I've told you before, you're not allowed to make fun of maps I draw or even the stick figure people I draw because I can't even do that. But I can can collect stuff and give. And and people with, with no crafty skill at all are bringing whatever they have and giving to the work of building The temple, the tabernacle, everything that was necessary for building the tabernacle came from the generosity of God's people. Now, let me let me let me chase a few dots. Let me connect a few dots for you. The first sort of question is this. Where where'd they come from? Okay, I I know this is why I looked. If I remember right, it was April 18th. Is that what I told you? April 18th of 2021, we started Exodus. 48 sermons later, we are almost finished. 
So for you and me, this has taken forever. Right? We're 14 months in. That's not true for them. So we took two and a half to look at the Ten Commandments. Right? We, one week given to each of the Ten Commandments, that's two and a half of our months that would have been two and a half of their minutes. This is, we're still eight, nine weeks out of Egypt. We're, we're two and a half, three months out of Egypt. Where'd they get the gold? Where'd they get the silver? Who's carrying acacia wood around with them in the middle of the wilderness ten weeks after leaving slavery in a foreign country? Well, you know where this stuff came from. It actually came from Egypt. Because you read back in Exodus 12, Exodus 13, 14, when the people left, in fact, it's reported two different ways to us. When, when the Israelites left Egypt, we're told that they said, hey, um, I'm going to need some things. And the Egyptians gave it. You read in another passage and it sounds like the Egyptians are saying, would you please leave, leave quickly. And if here, take some stuff, if that'll get you out of here faster. Like literally almost throwing things at them to get them out of Egypt. They're building the tabernacle with Egyptian gold, with Egyptian silver, with Egyptian fine twined linen, with, with Egyptian scarlet and purple and blue yarn linen material. God gave Israel favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. So they actually plundered the Egyptians on the way out. And now they're using those gifts for the building of the tabernacle. You know, it would be easy. It would be really, really easy. And for that matter, it would be really tempting, I think, to think. So I went to my neighbor we're getting ready to leave Egypt. Went by my neighbor's house and said, hey, I need some earrings. And he gave them to me. It'd be really easy to think, look what I did. Look how great I am. Look at what, look, I managed to take things from the Egyptians. And so that you get to this point in Exodus and you go, I'm not giving it to him. This is mine. I took this. And the people are gladly, they recognize the fact that this is all from God. That the, that the plundering of Egypt was all of God's work. They could be tight-fisted because they had done the work. They had done the asking. They had been the ones carrying it through the wilderness for the last few months. They could be tight-fisted. But they come with joy and delight and open-handed and throwing things at Moses and the workers. Look, everything we have is, is actually God's. Everything we have is really on loan to us. That's why we sang all for Jesus. The Covenant College hymn, by the way. That's why we sang all for Jesus. So that we, kind of that reminder that whatever I have, I want to use for his honor and glory. That's why we use the first shorter catechism question. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. 
But I'm going to be selfish and stingy with my stuff. Those two things don't go together. There's a second dot I want to connect for you, and that is this. You know, it's only been a couple of chapters since these same people gave for the building of an idol. That was chapter 32. They, they literally brought gold to Aaron and said, look, we need a God. We need somebody who can lead us. We, we don't know this, this, whoever this is that brought us out of Egypt and, and this Moses fellow was practically their language in, in chapter 32. We, we don't know what's become of this Moses fellow. And so they dumped gold, earrings and things, and, and they made a golden calf and said, this is your God. Those same people are now bringing that and more for the building of the tabernacle. It's a picture of their repentance. It's a picture of their understanding because you see what should have happened in chapters 33 and 34 after the, the, the golden calf, what should have happened was squash the Israelites. That's not what they got. Instead, they got grace. They got mercy. They, they found out just how patient and loving and merciful and gracious God is. And in light of that grace, having experienced that grace and mercy, they now are giving joyfully to the work of building this tabernacle. They understand you don't earn God's favor. You don't give to gain his favor, you give because you have it already. They've, they've experienced the mercy and grace of God and they can't help but be generous with their possessions. There's a, a third implication uh, to, to make here, a third sort of dot to connect. And that is this. This is how the work of the church happens today. This is exactly how the work of the church goes today. There are some people called to specific, specific works and, and positions and places. And, and yet everyone gives and everyone participates. Some are called and gifted to do certain work, but everyone is called to give generously to that work. In fact, you see in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 36, the literally... The various foremen, the, the gold foreman, the acacia wood foreman, the fine twined linen foreman, all came running back to Moses and Moses, stop it. We don't, we tell the people to quit. We're inundated with stuff. We've got more stuff than we can use. Just stop, slow down, hang on. Let us see what we, you know, how far this gets us. And if we need more, then we'll come back. Okay, they don't say all that, but that's part of the implication, right? That's the, the picture of the way the church works. How amazing would it be if every local congregation could go to the people and go, I'm going to need you to slow down. I'm going to need you to hold on a minute. You're, you're out giving our ability to use. Wouldn't that be an amazing problem for every local church in the entire world to go to their people and say, hold on. Let's, 
let's just push pause on the giving for a minute. Because we can't use it as fast as you give it. The gifts of the few, the gifts of the many. Finally, I want you just to see the gifts of the one. You notice in verses 30 and 31 of chapter 35. Where do Bezalel and Aholiab get their ability? Where do they get their skill? Well, verse 30, the Lord has called them by name. Verse 31, he has filled them with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. Down in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 36, you get the exact same thing again. In other words, God has foreordained this. These are men who have the gifts, the ability to work in all sorts of medium, media, all sorts of materials. And now you know why. Because they come out of Egypt with the stuff and the people to lead and to do the work of building the tabernacle. And that's all because God himself has established and given that skill, that intelligence. Part of the implication is there's, there's no place for jealousy in the church. There, there's no place for people in the church to go, but hold on, that guy can sing and I can't sing and that's just not fair. There's no place in the church for those with certain gifts to make fun of or to belittle or to mock or to dismiss those who don't have them. It's equally wrong for those that don't have those particular gifts, the ones that we think are fancier and more important. That the New Testament, you know, we have gifts, we have abilities, but the, the, the New Testament will sometimes call them lesser gifts. I, I'll never forget a conversation with a widow back in Oxford who uh, I was actually teaching a Sunday school class on, on gifts one time. And, and I openly and publicly mocked people with the gift of administration. And I did it on purpose because she was walking across the back of the room. And she and I had had the conversation when she was like, she asked her husband, uh, what, what is my gift? He was like, well, administration, of course. Like, it's so obvious. This is kind of how you work. You, and so she's walking across the back of the room. And I said, who wants the gift of administration anyway? And, you know, people come, and she stops and looks at me. It, that's one that a lot of times you don't see in public. You don't really always see out in front. But a vital gift of the church. A vital role within the life of the church. She and I had the kind of relationship that we could do that to each other. God gives the gifts that he wants to give to the people he wants to have them so that they can serve the purpose that he has designed for them to serve. Our responsibility as his people is to use those gifts for his honor and his glory. Whatever that gift may be. To recognize that we actually depend on each other. Your body doesn't get to go, well, I'm the brain. Heart, I mean, I don't know. I'm really not sure I need you around. Yeah, you kind of do. And so there's no place in the church for that sort of using our gifts for our own glory, our own self-aggrandizement, but instead we're called to use them for the honor and glory of the giver of those gifts 
and for the good of the church. And that's exactly what's illustrated here. But there's a second gift of the one. The people are building a tabernacle. They're building the place where God and man will meet. They're building the place where law and grace will meet. You remember the Ten Commandments are in the ark. And, and the ark, it's covered with a mercy seat. The, the law condemns the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat that, that is that picture of our forgiveness. This is the place where God and man will meet, where law and grace meet. But it's also a place that's not going to be around very long. It's going to get replaced by a permanent structure in David and Solomon's time. And that structure gets destroyed and rebuilt, which will also be destroyed and rebuilt and then expanded and then finally destroyed in 70 AD. And here we are almost 2,000 years later and we still don't have it. Why not? Because we don't need it. I actually don't think it's ever going to be rebuilt. I don't think that's necessary. There's no reason to go back to sacrificing animals. Why? Because we already have the great gift that is the true tabernacle. That is Christ himself. The one who in whom God and man meet. The one in whom law and grace meet. The one and only one in whom forgiveness can be found for our cosmic treason. Isn't that sort of the picture? These people in building the tabernacle have experienced just that grace. They gave to the building of an idol. They bowed down and worshipped that idol. They were forgiven. And now they model their repentance in giving to the tabernacle. And so part of the picture here is that the true tabernacle has already come. We don't need this building anymore. We don't need this structure anymore because Christ is the place where God and man meet. Christ is the one who solves the problem of our cosmic treason, of our, of our disobedience. Christ is the one in whom where law and grace meet. And so may we, as his forgiven people, respond to that forgiveness by our joyful giving to the work of his church being built and growing on the earth and use those gifts that he's given us for his honor and his glory. Will you pray with me? Uh, Father in heaven, we do thank you for the, the gift that is uh, your son. Uh, the true tabernacle, the one where um, sacrifice and law and, and bloodshed um, and, and all meet so that your justice, your wrath is satisfied and our forgiveness is accomplished. And we pray that you would make us people who respond to that experience with our joyful giving our joyful participation in the work of your kingdom and the building of your church. Use us, we pray, to the honor and glory of Christ. Amen.